This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. All right, all right. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rachel, and so excited to be speaking to you this afternoon. I'm also so excited that there are still people here after the kids have all left. That's a bonus, definitely. Um, So I don't know how many of you were here last week. Well, Tim and Greg spoke to us about creation. I only heard Tim's preach, but so I can tell you that Tim spoke about how creation was a celebration of God's power and creativity. He talked about how the beauty of creation helps us to celebrate God in the everyday. And today I'm going to be talking about celebrating at appointed times, times that God has set aside to help us remember the beauty of salvation. And as we remember, we celebrate. I'm not talking about celebration just as an emotional reaction to an event. I'm talking about celebration as something active. So let's think about that. How many of you have been watching the Tokyo 2020 Olympics? I have. Oh, good, a lot of you. Well, I know it's been on at night time, hasn't it? So I've only really been watching the highlights, which means I know the outcome, but you get to skip the boring bits. So, you know, some bonuses there as well. One of the most iconic moments so far has to be last week when Tom Daly and Matty Lee, when they dived their perfectly synchronized gold medal winning dive you could feel the emotion just flowing through the TV. The commentators, they roared into their microphones. It's brilliant, it's done it, it's enough to win gold. They showed a clip of their families watching at home who were just, you know, screaming unintelligibly. And their coaches on the sideline were doing a kind of jumping hug situation. Everyone was celebrating, there were tears. Tom Daly jumped into Matty Lee's arms. They were all celebrating because they knew that this victory was years in the making. But now, let's think about a different sort of celebration, something that we do consider to be a celebration. What about a funeral? Now, obviously, the atmosphere at a funeral is completely different to an Olympic stadium, for obvious reasons, and rightly so. But why, then, do we call it a celebration? We say, oh, it was lovely. It was really a celebration of their life. Why do we do this? Well, it wouldn't really be much of a celebration if we didn't share stories, stories of the person that we'd lost. We share stories of all they achieved and what they meant to us, and as we do that, it becomes an act of celebration, even though there is pain and there are tears. Celebration is active, and it goes hand in hand with remembering. Now, the time of celebration that we're talking about today is, of course, the Passover. And I have to warn you as well, for a sermon series called Summer of Celebration, there's an awful lot of slavery, death, and blood. Just want to warn you before we get started. There's an awful lot of blood, but without the blood, there would actually be no Passover to celebrate. It is the most important part. I promise there is joy beyond all of the blood, beyond all of the death and all of the slavery. There is joy because of what it means for us today, what this story from thousands of years ago actually means for us today. See, Passover is the gospel displayed in the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. 
It all points to Jesus. And when you realize that, it's so exciting how you see how all of the symbolism of the Passover points to Jesus. It's so exciting. But to understand that, we've got to go back to the original event. The first Passover, the very first Passover was God's rescue plan to save his people from slavery and death in Egypt. And this moment of salvation started out with a meal. And it was so significant, such a significant event, that God told them, keep on marking this event. Now that you're free, keep on marking this event year after year with the same symbolic meal. Why? Well, three things that they were to remember. Firstly, remember who they were. Then remember what God did. And then now remember who you are. And in this remembering, that's how they celebrate. So firstly, the Passover helped them to remember who they were. The story starts way back in Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. The actual Passover is in Exodus 12, and we'll get there in a minute. So you might want to turn to it so you've got it ready. But we're starting at the beginning of Exodus. Just before this, just before this, we see Joseph, who I'm sure a lot of you will know, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. Woo. Um, now, Joseph, he did some pretty amazing things in Egypt through his faith in God. So amazing, yes, they did make a musical after him, but even more importantly, so amazing that Pharaoh promoted Joseph to a position of power over Egypt. And his family as well were welcomed into the land with honor. And his family formed the 12 tribes of Israel. But Joseph died, generations passed, and eventually there was a new Pharaoh on the throne. And this Pharaoh, it says in um, chapter 1, verse, wherever it's gone, verse 8, I think. Yep, Exodus 1, verse 8. It says that this Pharaoh knew nothing of Joseph or what he'd done. So I guess he didn't feel like he owed the Israelites anything, definitely no special treatment. But when this new Pharaoh saw that the Israelite population had grown so numerous, he was a bit scared. He was scared because he saw it as one huge threat to his power. So this is what he did, Exodus 1, verse 11 to 14. I think it will appear on the screen. Great. So this is what Pharaoh did. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So this is who they were before God saved them. This is who they were. They were slaves. They were forced to make bricks and work the fields under the scorching Egyptian sun without mercy. And once they were freed, the Passover meal helped them to remember this, helped them to remember who they were. Now, an important part of this meal was the bitter herbs, which we'll read in the passage later. The bitter herbs, which of course symbolized this bitterness of slavery. Now, there are a few things that would have been okay to use as the bitter herbs, and nowadays a lot of people use horseradish. 
Horseradish. Now, I don't know if you like a bit of horseradish. Have you got it in your fridge? John's saying no. Don't put it on your roast beef on a Sunday. Well, that's not really what I'm talking about anyway. I'm talking about pure, raw horseradish. You couldn't water it down to make it taste any better because that wasn't the point. Um, you know, this horseradish, it was supposed to be bitter. It was supposed to make your eyes water, to bring tears to your eyes. Um, I saw a recipe of um, you know, modern Passover recipes of this lady in America, and she had a picture of herself with some goggles on. She was saying, this is what I used to prepare the horseradish, because it's so powerful, even the fumes were making her eyes water. And she was saying, I don't know how my grandparents used to do it. My grandmothers, they used to grate it by hand, and I'm using a food processor, and still I'm using goggles. She just was trying to get across how absolutely pungent and powerful and eye-wateringly spicy horseradish is. But that was the point. They weren't just to read about who they used to be. They couldn't just read it. They were supposed to taste it. They were supposed to reflect on it throughout the meal, to experience it with their bodies. Well, you wouldn't think that you'd need to remember slavery, such a horrible time, would you? But they actually did need to. They needed to remember the bitterness. Because can you believe it? They did forget Later on, when they're wandering in the desert, they're hungry and they're thirsty. And they actually said to Moses, oh, we wish we were still in Egypt. Why have you brought us out of Egypt just to be hungry and thirsty in the desert? It would be better if you left us as slaves. We, at least we would have had food then. Why did you even bring us out of Egypt? How many of us have said something we didn't mean when we were hungry? But we would have probably said the same thing we are forgetful just as the Israelites are. And God knows that we're forgetful. And that's why he told them, have this meal, have these bitter herbs to remember who you used to be before I saved you. How they used to live in misery under the brutal oppression of Pharaoh. Until. Until God intervened. This brings me to point two. The Passover meal helped them to remember what God did. So, I think I've painted pretty, a pretty bitter picture so far, but as if their lives weren't bitter enough, it's about to get even worse for the Israelites. Pharaoh then, because all his plans weren't working, the Israelites were still you know, prospering and growing in number despite the slavery, he then put out the order to kill all the Hebrew newborn baby boys, first to the midwives, and then when that didn't work, he issued it as a wider command. It's brutal. It's clear he wanted to wipe out their existence completely. But thankfully, he didn't succeed. But even after this Pharaoh died, it says in chapter 2, verse 23, that the brutal oppression did not die with him. No, the slavery just continued under the next ruler with no end in sight. How could this be happening to God's people? Where was God in all this? His people were suffering and they couldn't save themselves. Wasn't he going to do anything about it? But he was already doing something. Enter Moses. Exodus 3 verse 7. The Lord says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. 
God heard, God cared, and God had a rescue plan. God heard, God cared, and he had a rescue plan. And this rescue plan involved a lot of plagues. I'm sure you all have heard of the story, maybe from Sunday school. Um, You'll be relieved to hear I'm not going to dwell on all of the plagues. I think we've all had enough of biblical-style plagues over the last year and a half. And no, the coronavirus was not one of the ten plagues of Egypt. But many of us know the story. Moses went to Pharaoh, and he said, I've got a message from God. God says, let my people go. But Pharaoh was stubborn. His heart was hard, and he said, no, I won't let your people go. So then God sent a plague. Moses again went and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, God sent another plague. Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, God sent another plague. And this went on and on and on until, because Pharaoh would not budge, finally God sent a final plague, the plague of the firstborn. Now this is the one I find hardest to think about and I'm sure a lot of you will agree. You might be thinking, why did it have to be like this? Why did it have to be death? So much death. It is something worth thinking about, but that's probably a discussion for another time, because what I want to focus on today is what God did. See, unlike Pharaoh, when Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies, there was no mercy. But God, when he brought death, unlike Pharaoh, God provided a way out. God made a way for his people to escape death. God made a way to escape death, and that is where the blood comes in. So if you have a Bible, this is the main bit, the main bit of passage to have open, Exodus 12. This is God giving the Passover instructions to Moses. We'll start at verse 3. This is God speaking. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel will slaughter them, must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. There are a few more instructions, but we're just going to pause it there. But, so the instructions were, take a year-old lamb, one without defect, or in other words, perfect condition, not you know the run to the litter or whatever. Get together with your neighbours, slaughter them at the same time, at the right time. Share out some of the blood, put it on the top and the side of your doorframe. And that night, eat the first symbolic meal, the lamb, bitter herbs, the bread without yeast. Some pretty strange instructions and apologies to the vegans. There is no vegan option in the Passover. Um, But let's jump to verse 12 to find out why these instructions were necessary. This is still God speaking. I'm, oh sorry, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt 
and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So that is just what they did. They did just as the Lord commanded. They took the lambs, they gathered them together, they waited till the right time, they killed the lamb, they stirred out the blood, they put it on the sides of the door and the top of the door frame, and they waited. And they trusted in the blood. They trusted in God. And... At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborns in Egypt. It says, from Pharaoh's firstborn on the throne to the sons of prisoners in the dungeons. From the palace to the dungeons. There was no discrimination in God's judgment. If you were a firstborn son, you were destined to die. And if you weren't a firstborn son, you can bet that you would still be affected by this death, whether personally or just through the community. So much death all around you. You couldn't escape it, except the only way to escape it was to be saved by having the blood on your doorframe, to set your household apart, to show, to be recognized as God's people. And death did pass over them. Whoever had the blood on the doorframe, death passed over them. And what's more, Pharaoh did let them go. Finally, Pharaoh let them go. They were saved from death, but also from slavery. They were freed from slavery and death in one fell swoop. It's amazing. And I was talking to our wise friend, Ben Power. He's there on the second row. Hello, Ben. And he reminded me that, yeah, it didn't matter what the state of the house was on the inside. The only thing that mattered was that they had the blood on the doorframe. So, yeah, it didn't matter what the people had done in the past. It didn't matter if they were sick or if they were healthy, if they were rich or if they were poor. The only thing that mattered, the only thing that would save them was whether they had this blood on the doorframe. The only thing that mattered was whether they were covered in the blood of the lamb. The criteria was for the lamb to be perfect, not for the people within the house. It's the lamb's blood that signifies that the death penalty had been paid on that property. But it was the lamb who'd paid the price, none of the people within. The people within were set free. They were saved. They were, most importantly, alive. And so God told them, keep on holding this symbolic meal with lamb and with herbs and with bread without yeast to remember what he did for them and to also tell their children, generation after generation, this is why we have this meal, to remember what God did. He saved them from death by providing a substitute. And as they remembered, they celebrated. So if it's so important, why don't we do the Passover today as Christians? Why don't we do it as Christians? Well, it was never meant to last forever. It was always pointing to Jesus, God's real rescue plan. And Jesus gave us a new way to remember this rescue plan, which we know as communion. So 
my final point, point three, is remember what Jesus did. Remember what Jesus did for you. Like the Israelites, all of us are actually slaves to something as well. It's something called sin, which is basically just doing wrong, you know, wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong deeds. I'm sure all of us can relate to that feeling of, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't did that. That was an ugly thought. Or, you know, why can't I do the good that I want to do, but I keep on doing the bad things that I don't actually want to do? We can all relate to that, I'm sure. That's what sin is, this falling short of God's perfect standard. We might think that there are some sins worse than others, but actually God doesn't see it that way. In the Bible, it says that all have sinned, all have fallen short, which means that I am no better than you, and you are no better or no worse than anyone else. So we're all slaves to sin, whether we realize it or not. But just like in Exodus, God was not content to leave his people enslaved. He's not content to leave you or me enslaved to sin or fear or death or addiction or anything. He doesn't want to leave you enslaved to anything, especially not sin. So that is why God sent Jesus to be the new Passover lamb so that death would now pass over us, so that judgment would now pass over us. In John 1.29, it says, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a bit of a strange way to greet your cousin, but that's what John the Baptist said. He recognized who Jesus was. In 1 Corinthians 5.7, Paul says, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Did you know that Jesus' death and resurrection weekend coincided with Passover? This timing is no coincidence. No, it's no coincidence that Jesus' death and resurrection coincided with Passover because God was saying that Christ, Jesus Christ, is our Passover lamb, just as it said in 1 Corinthians. That's what God is saying. These t- this timing of these two events, it's no coincidence at all. All across Jerusalem, Jews had gathered to have this symbolic meal that they'd been doing for generations. They were gathering to have a meal and celebrate how God had freed them from death and slavery in Egypt. He saved them through blood by providing a substitute, one innocent substitute so that many would live. And here was Jesus, about to die on the cross. One innocent substitute dying so that many would live, freeing every believer from slavery to sin and death by shedding his blood. It's no coincidence at all. One perfect lamb without defect, one perfect sinless Jesus. Many people now live. It's amazing. It's amazing how Jesus fulfilled the Passover, fulfilled the symbolism of the Passover in lots of different ways, which I don't have time to go through today, but it is so exciting. If you like history, it's especially exciting. Um, But it's amazing how Jesus fulfilled the symbolism. One example I'm gonna give you is that one of the specifications of the Passover was that none of the lamb's bones should be broken. None of the lamb 
none of the bones of the lamb should be broken. And when the Romans crucified people, did you know that they would often break the legs of the accused to speed up the horrible process? But when they got to Jesus, when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. So they did not need to break any of his bones. Not one of Jesus' bones were broken. It's an amazing detail, and it shows that Christ is our Passover lamb. So let's read how Jesus wanted us to remember it. Luke 22, verse 14 to 20. It's the Last Supper, and Jesus is having this Passover meal with his friends. Um, So Luke 22, starting at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the new covenant means the new agreement between God and us. The new agreement that says, when you say yes to Jesus, his blood now covers you. Death and judgment will pass over you. And by taking the cup in this way, Jesus is linking his death with the Passover. He's saying that his blood is the blood over the doorframe, the blood that they're remembering. And yeah, just like in the first Passover, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. He did this for you because he loves you. This is for you. The criteria is not that you are perfect, as we heard during the worship through that word. The criteria is not for you to be perfect or to, you know, get yourself ready before coming to Jesus, before coming to church. No, the criteria is that Jesus was perfect and he traded places with us. He beat death and he rose victorious for us. And that is why we sing these songs of celebration, these songs that talk so much about blood. is because we're remembering what Jesus did for us. This forgiveness, this freedom, this security, this identity, this life, we are alive. And it's all because of Jesus. And it's all for you if you say yes to Jesus. And it's never too late to say yes to Jesus. So yeah, this is what we celebrate, that we no longer need to sacrifice a lamb. We no longer need the Passover because it has been fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? I know I'm glad that we didn't have to kill a lamb and throw blood around to get into church today. No, we didn't have to do that. It's amazing. Thank God that we can be in his presence without doing any of that. God has made it so easy for us to come to him. It seems too good to be true sometimes, but it's because there was a cost, but Jesus paid it so that we can come to him much easier. But Jesus did ask us to remember, to have a meal to regularly remember him, remember what he did. That's why he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And that's what communion is. You know, for every believer who has said yes to Jesus, to gather together in church as God's freed people and have a meal together to remember. And we'd love to have communion today, this afternoon, but unfortunately, the pandemic restrictions do make that a bit tricky. But one day we will be able to share it together again. And in the meantime, we can celebrate by remembering in lots of different ways. And what is it that we're remembering? The three points. Remember who you once were. Slaves to so many things. Robbed of an identity by that slavery. Unable to save yourself. Remember what God did. Sent Jesus to be the Passover lamb for you. To save you because he loves you. And remember who you now are, alive, with your identity restored, God's free people, and accepted into his family. And in remembering all this, that is how we celebrate. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, thank you for the story of the Passover and that it is so relevant to us today. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us as we were. Thank you that you love each of us enough to send Jesus to be our Passover lamb. Yeah, Lord, we celebrate that you set us free once and for all. And I pray that you keep on setting us free from the things in our lives that are holding us back. And as we can't take communion today, God, will you help us to remember and celebrate in other ways every day? And as we leave this afternoon, Lord, fill our hearts with your joy and help us to celebrate, celebrate this beauty of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.